Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. This is the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today we're talking about piano studio schedules. Fun! Welcome, lovely teachers. So today we're talking about scheduling and timetabling students, one of our favorite times of the year. Am I right? This is honestly still difficult for me. I do have a good system before you ask, but it is a challenge. It can be a challenge. So if that's the camp you're in, I just want to let you know that I empathize and we're in this together. Now, today's article on the blog, if you're listening to this in real time, you can just go to the blog to check it out, which is colourfulkeys.ie slash blog. In that article, we have several perspectives from lots of different teachers. What I'm going to do here on the show is just talk you through how I do it so that you can hear about my system, but you can also learn some tips and ideas from different types of teachers over there. All right, so I'm going to preface my description of my scheduling system with a couple of caveats. First of all, my studio is probably a lot more complex than yours. That's not a diss on your studio, by the way. It's something that maybe is a silly part of what I do, that I let things be so complex, but all the different options are important to me and I'm fine with the trade-off of doing a complicated schedule. Just know that you can keep things a lot simpler than I have because I have multiple teachers working for me, so... And in a year, depending on their hours, two or three other teachers working here. The teachers work here at the studio and also at students' homes. We offer multiple different lesson lengths. So 30 minutes just for adults, 45 minutes, 60 minutes. And then we have our buddy lessons, which is overlapping lessons. If you haven't been around me for a long time, that's where we overlap the lessons in the middle. So students have some time solo with the teacher and then some time together with another student. So we have two different lengths of those. There's 60 minutes, which is 30 minutes solo and 30 minutes buddy time. And then there's uh, 70 minutes, which is 40 minutes solo and 30 minutes buddy time. So that's for our more intermediate to advanced students who need a bit more solo time with their teacher. Lastly, then on top of that, we also have our group classes. So we have Mini Musicians, which is our group class for young students ages three to five. That one is available as a curriculum inside Vibrant Music Teaching if you want to check it out. And it's also a class that we run here. 
Um, most years we have two of those classes, so I need to fit those into the schedule as well. With those, I'm not factoring that in. Like, it's not that parents tell me when they would prefer and I schedule it then. I just set the times and then I offer those to parents on the waiting list for that type of class. And then we also have a new type of group class that we just started this year. That one's called Piano Launchpad. And the course actually just hit the VMT library for that one. So I'm excited to see what members do with that. That is a beginner class, uh, group class as well for ages 7 to 10. I mean, I limit it more than that for each actual group, but the curriculum works for ages 7 to 10 um, or even a little bit older if teachers want to do that. But for us, it's either ages 7 to 8 or 9 to 10. And I need to fit that in somewhere into one of the teacher schedules or multiple of us. This year it was me, next year it might be me and another teacher doing two different sessions. So that was my first rather long caveat, which is that my scheduling is more complicated than yours likely is because of these different options. As I say, you could be doing things much more simply and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing special about what I'm doing. It's not something to aspire to. It's just something that each one of those is important to me as an option to offer. And so I've let it become more complex because I'm okay with that trade-off. Now, the other caveat is that many teachers will be saying, well, why don't they just keep their same slots so that you don't have to remake the schedule every summer, which is what I do. I remake it from scratch, basically. And the reason for that is that there are going to be some families that have to change. So sports move days or inevitably kids move up from one type to another. So they were, you know, the under nines and now they're the under 11s and that's a totally different time. Or they decide to take a French class or they move from primary school to secondary school, something completely unavoidable like that. Well, let's say that happens for five out of the around 70 students in my studio or 10. If it only happens for a few of them, then I can only swap between those spots. If I've promised everyone they're allowed to keep their spot if they want to, then I can only swap those five people between each other. And it just won't work. There's not enough flexibility there. And I don't think it's fair to those families that they then end up with a terrible spot that they don't want just because their child went from primary school to secondary school, which is like elementary to middle school. Yeah, I don't think that works. If it works for you, great. Your life is way simpler than mine. But for me, I reset. I go from a blank slate. Now, I will have one or two long-standing families who I know that... Even if I say I'm resetting the schedule, we're going to end up right back where we were the previous year because it is the only time that works in their very, very busy week. And so they're just going to keep the same spot. And that is fine. But I still want them to fill it out with the options that are available in case we get really stuck. So what are they filling out? Because I said I was going to talk about how to create a schedule or how I create mine. But I actually want to start a step back from that. Because the most important part, the thing that works the best about my scheduling actually starts with the registration or enrollment forms, whatever you want to do. So I have my students, my families fill out a new registration form each year. 
They do this in June-ish, so they're sent out the form um, towards the start of June and they have to return it to me before around the middle of July. I pick a date as a deadline that's early to mid-July. With that form, they need to, you know, update their details, make sure everything's up to date, fill in their lesson format preferences, all that stuff. Often that's staying the same, but sometimes there's a change there. They need to let me know their scheduling preferences for the next year. So the important part about the way I do it is that I have an opt-out scheduling form. So when I did this on paper, the way it worked was I laid out in a grid the days as the rows and the times as the columns, so like 3pm, 3.30, 4pm, etc. or whatever hours you teach, and the days down the side, so that they had to cross off which days they did not want, which day, times of day, times of certain days that they did not want. So they have to cross out, actively mark out the ones that they do not want. Now for some families, they are going to cross out like almost all of the times. But I find that doing it this way around means that they will give me all the available times. Whereas if you just say mark all the times that will work for you, even if you put that all in uppercase and bold and underline five times, they're still going to just pick a couple of times maybe that are their favorites. So you will end up with fewer options. Crossing it out makes them really just mark out the times that they're not available at all. Now, I used to do this on paper. I now do a digital form. So the way it works on my digital form is that all the, um, it's still laid out the same way, but all of the checkboxes beside the times are already ticked when they land on the page and they need to uncheck, untick the ones that do not work for them. So they're left with the ones that with their availability showing. There are images of these, both the paper version and the digital version in the blog post that goes along with this episode. So if you haven't looked at that already, it's on the Colourful Keys blog. Just head over there and you'll be able to see this if you're listening to me going, what is she talking about? What are these rows and columns? Just go take a look at it. It'll make a lot more sense. So before you ask me, before we move on, I know I'm going to get this question because I always get it, which is they look at the version of my digital form with all the pre-checked boxes and teachers ask me if I know how they could do this in Google Forms or a simple way they could do it without being a techie. Honestly, I'm sorry, I don't. I don't think you can do this in Google Forms. I would love it if someone would correct me if I'm wrong about that, but I haven't found a way to do it myself in Google Forms to have them pre-checked rather than you check them. The way I'm doing it is using a plugin for WordPress. So unless you have a self-hosted WordPress site, you can't use the option I have. But if you're curious, it's called Gravity Forms. So the next stage is after all these registration forms come in and I have badgered the parents who didn't send them back (laughs) to make sure they do, uh, fill it in, I mean. So once I've done that, and I've got all of them back. I've got a yes or no answer for, from everyone about whether they're coming back in September. And by the way, just as a side note, there is a registration fee attached to that form. So this is, you know, obviously an extra fee and that's useful for the studio and it secures their spot for the year, goes towards the cost of materials. But the real biggest benefit of that fee for you as a teacher is that parents really mean it when they say they're coming back in September because they've put money down. So they don't just fill in the form, 
and then get to September and say, ah, actually, we want to do an art class instead. They really mean that they're committed to coming back in September. So it makes a big difference for that reason. Now, once all that form data has come back in and I've got it exported as in a spreadsheet, then I set up another spreadsheet, which is to create the actual timetable. Again, you can go look at a picture of this in the article. So this spreadsheet for me includes a column for each day and multiple columns for one day if there are multiple teachers working on that day because I have two to three other teachers depending on the year working here at Colourful Keys. So I need columns for the days and that's split up into sub columns if you will for each teacher working on that day. And then each row going down the left hand side I have the times laid out as 3pm which is the earliest lesson we teach here. 3pm, 3.05, 3.10, 3.15 going all the way down to 7pm when we stop. And then each cell therefore is worth five minutes. So if a student has a 30 minute lesson, I just select a group of six rows, six cells going downwards and merge those together and write the student's name in that space so that Anna's lesson, I can then move around, copy paste to different parts of the timetable. Okay, go, go look at the picture if this is not clear, but that's how I do it. If you're a pencil and paper kind of person, that's fine. I like this system because I can easily see how the different combinations of lesson lengths and how the buddy lessons fit together and all that good stuff. It just makes it all work really nicely. And I can also keep my eye on the breaks and making sure I put those in. So I have a rule that is there has to be a break of at least 15 minutes every two and a half hours or four students, whichever comes first. That's my little rule. And that goes for me and all the other teachers who work here. I'm keeping an eye on that and making sure I can put the breaks in. They're not exactly every two and a half hours or two hours or anything. They're where I can fit them in based on how the schedule works out. But there's a minimum of that as a sort of requirement. So once I have a temporary version of the schedule laid out, I go ahead and contact each of the parents and say, I just want to confirm I've given you this spot based on your preferences. Can you please get back to me and let me know? that that's still okay with you. And then you wait and you cross your fingers and you hope and hope that this year, for the first year ever, no one will come back and say no. (laughs) But they do. Of course they do. So normally it's like one of the last students to come back to me that says, actually, I forgot about this or I filled in the form wrong or something. It's pretty inevitable. But when that comes up, you deal with it. You move things around if you need to. And you find a way to make it work. There's no concrete advice I can give you there. It's about jiggling things around, moving things this way and that until it all fits together. And if you do get frustrated at scheduling time, just know that mine is probably worse than yours. Unless you're running an enormous school. I don't run a huge school, but I mine is fairly complex to put together. So know that you're probably better off than me. And hopefully some of these tips and ideas about how to do it have been useful for you. That's it for this week, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I will see you back here next week.
One of the awesome benefits for Vibrant Music Teaching members is that they get an exclusive member magazine every month. This magazine brings together our blog articles in a way that is digestible and super actionable. If you want to become a member and get the magazine as well as all the other benefits, you can go to vmt.ninja to sign up. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.